to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I am your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has served at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts, hear stories from the emergency department, and listen to people who have struggled from addiction. Friends, fentanyl is plaguing America. It has infected all illicit drugs, from cocaine to meth, counterfeit pills, and even marijuana. If you are around someone who may be using drugs, you should carry naloxone, the opioid reversal agent. Carrying naloxone for drugs is like carrying an EpiPen for allergies. If you need a prescription for naloxone, you should have one, no questions asked. That is why I am offering a free prescription to anyone who needs one. Come visit me on hightruths.com to learn more about the show, submit a question, or download a free prescription for naloxone. And if you like the show, do me a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. Your stars are very much appreciated and go a long way in supporting the program. This High Truths podcast is sponsored by NMI, the National Marijuana Initiative. NMI strives to dispel misconceptions about marijuana and raise awareness of the issues surrounding the drug so that citizens and policymakers can make well-informed choices regarding marijuana use and regulations. Learn more about NMI at thenmi.org. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining me today for more High Truths. Today, we're going to talk about psychosis, a psychiatric condition of being out of touch with reality. Having treated thousands of patients with psychosis is really a very miserable condition. Hearing voices that talk to you or command you to do something when there's nothing really there, and yet the person inflictive believes that they're real. This can result in paranoia and sometimes self-destructive or violent behavior. You would not wish such a condition on anyone. Let me read you a headline from the Evening Standard, a newspaper from London. The headline goes, Liberal parents don't realize psychosis dangers with cannabis, London psychiatrist warns. That psychiatrist is Sir Robin Murray, the world-renowned expert in schizophrenia. And you can listen to him on High Truths episode number 57. He states that 30% of the patients he treats have psychosis due to marijuana. In London, they call it skunk. And further, those cases could have been prevented. The conclusion he makes is based on research. A study in Europe included over 900 patients with first-time episode of psychosis and compare them to 1,237 population controls from the same location and demographics. And people who used high-potency cannabis, defined as more than 10% THC or more, had a five-fold increased likelihood of experiencing psychosis. Amsterdam, London, and Paris had the highest prevalence of high-potency THC in controls and the highest rates of cannabis-associated psychosis. You can find the citation for this research on the website for the International Association on the Science and Impact of Cannabis, IASIC1.org. 
I put together the library on that website and still today have a hard time keeping up with all the new research and literature that's being published, but I, I do my best. And I urge you to check it out to learn about the science and side effects of the harms of cannabis. Isaac1.org, the International Association on the Science and Impact of Cannabis. And now let's hear our question of the day. My name is Bart Bright. I'm 65 years old. My son started using marijuana at 15 and he experienced many episodes of cannabis-induced psychosis. And at 29 years old, he ended up taking his own life. The last articulate thing he said to me was, cannabis has ruined my life. I'm really, I really appreciate High Truth's podcast for getting this information out. And I've actually learned a lot too by listening. I do wonder how young people can get the message that marijuana is harmful. I do wonder about that. Bart, um, my heart sinks from your question. You know, over the years, I've spoke to many parents who lost their children to drugs, from opioid prescriptions to fentanyl and marijuana, and it does not get easier. I am so very, very, very sorry for your loss and the pain that you carry. And I also thank you and applaud you for speaking out and sharing your personal story. You inspire me and drive me to do what I do in the field of addiction medicine and health policy. To answer your question, I've invited Heidi Swan, a relentless advocate on marijuana protection. Heidi Swan is co-author of the only fictional story which illustrates cannabis-induced psychosis entitled A Night in Jail. Heidi's brother has been in jail 18 times. She was inspired by his true life experience with marijuana addiction, schizophrenia, and homelessness. You can find Heidi Anderson Swan's bio on the High Truths show notes. Heidi, welcome to High Truths. Thank you, Dr. Love. It is such an honor to be here. I'm, um, I'm so impressed with your lineup of guests, and I'm honored that I'm included in this, in this group. Of course, it's fun. We're going to have a fun conversation like we usually do with, with <laughs> purpose, and it's really nice to have you here on High Truths. And I admire you, Heidi, because you are a relentless advocate on the issue of marijuana. You never give up. And uh, and it seems like you're on it 24-7. You've been knocked down a few times, and yet you come up fighting. And so what is it behind that? What drives you? Well, there's several things. First, I have to acknowledge my long-suffering husband because <laughs> he is he has had enough of hearing about marijuana for a lifetime. Um, and he supports my advocacy and my creative work. And um, so I, I am really grateful to him for that. But the reason that I got into this space in the first place was that I wanted to help prevent more homelessness. And we just have to walk this back one quick second. And how do we prevent homelessness. We prevent addiction and mental illness. Can we prevent mental illness? Not all of it, but we can prevent some of it. So if we can prevent any of it, we should be doing everything in our power to do so. One of the ways that we can prevent mental illness is to educate people about the mental health harms 
of marijuana, of all the recreational drugs that can cause a psychotic reaction, marijuana is the first, the number one substance that converts to schizophrenia. And that's above meth, that's above hallucinogens, it's above all of the other ones. And so it is imperative, especially in legalized states that everyone understands this risk, especially teenagers, because this is what happened to me when I was a teenager. I used marijuana on a few occasions. And one time I had an experience where all of a sudden I didn't know where I was and I didn't know who I was with. And I was with my best friend in the laundry room of our family home. And this was with potency of marijuana that was 5%. This was in like 1980. And so I really didn't like that experience. So I stayed away from the drug pretty much overall. And it wasn't until just a few years ago that I found out there's a name for what I went through. It's called cannabis-induced psychosis. That's where a person loses touch with reality because of their use of marijuana. My brother, he really liked that feeling it gave him. It made him feel like he was in a fun house. So he used this substance pretty much every day through high school, college, and graduate school. And then when he finished his education, he moved on to cocaine, he fell in love with it, and then he met crack and he fell in love with that. And in short order, he was homeless or in jail for a decade. It was absolutely, absolutely agonizing for our family. And both my brother and I, who I'm so thankful to say, um, he is sober today and, uh, and he is receiving treatment and he goes to 12 step meetings and he lives in a home with a sober roommate. These are, this is all a person can ask for from this horribly tragic situation. But when I told him about the studies which link especially teen marijuana use to adult schizophrenia, he was absolutely shocked. And he said, if I knew that, I never would have tried it. And I said, I feel exactly the same way. And so together we wrote A Night in Jail so that we could warn teenagers about what we wish we knew when we were their age. Because when we wrote the book, we've had, we understood that 10 to 15% of the population is predisposed to psychosis and most of us don't know it. But because of my reaction to very low potency marijuana and my brother's um, lifetime uh, diagnosis of schizophrenia, I mean, this pretty much doesn't go away uh, for him. Or, well, no, I think he's better now, um, now that he's, his brain has had an opportunity to heal. But um, so 10 to 15% of the population is predisposed to psychosis. And most of us have no idea. And because of my reaction to low potency marijuana and my brother's uh, diagnosis of schizophrenia after long-term use of it, it's pretty, it seems pretty clear that we would probably be in that group. Now, I didn't know about the higher concentrate marijuana products when we were writing A Night in Jail. I found out about it just as after I voted for legalization here in California. And then um, I was almost finished with the book. And one of our friends in prevention told me, she said, yeah, this kind of information is going to be really important as these new uh, concentrate products come out. And I said, um, what are you talking about? 
And she said, oh, you haven't heard about the concentrates. I'm like, no, what, what are they? And she told me that there are THC products, as you know, that's a psychoactive ingredient in marijuana. There are products that are 10 to 20 times stronger than what gave me a psychotic reaction in 1980. And I couldn't believe it. I was, it's, it's sad. Well, you have a lot, a lot to unfold. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> I've given you a chance to break in. Amazing. Um, it's well, first of all, your drive, uh, I asked you about your drive and you said that that really comes from experience with your brother, sure. right? who, yeah. who had psychosis, who was homeless, who went in jail and, and whenever something happens to one person in the family, it's not just that one person, just like you said, affected the whole family deeply, right? So I imagine that even though your brother had schizophrenia and, and was, had psychosis and was homeless, your mom, your dad, I don't know if you have other siblings, but you um, are involved in that trauma. Yeah, yes. and But we didn't know um, at the time that he had schizophrenia. We just thought he was a drug addict. And it wasn't until many years later at the, at the end that uh, we were able to convince him to go to see a psychiatrist to get evaluated because we were hoping just any anything because we thought he's mentally unwell somehow. Maybe he should get evaluated and we were able to convince him. And it was then that we discovered, you know, that he actually revealed. Apparently, this psychiatrist was so kind and so gentle to him that he revealed that he had been hearing voices and that he thought he was John the Baptist and that he thought that he was being followed by the CIA and the only safe place he could hide from the CIA was underneath the freeway where he slept. It's such a terrible disease. You know, you kind of wonder about your brother, um, whether it was, you know, genetic disposition to schizophrenia, because people can have schizophrenia. They've had it Mm -hmm. for many years without drugs Mm -hmm. um, and the drug use. And it's very hard to tell one way or another. Um, uh, you know, so people can get lung cancer without ever being a smoker. But if you smoke, you have a right. higher disposition to getting lung cancer. And I'm yeah. wondering, looking back, if that's what happened to your brother, like maybe he never would have had schizophrenia if he was never, you know, had that cigarette, like for lung cancer or the marijuana um, that affected his brain. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, th- I think we've got to talk about mental illness um, in the same way that as you described, we talk about cancer and heart disease. Let's let's talk about prevention. Let's talk about, um, you know, how can you have a healthy brain? Well, we put a helmet on toddlers while they're, and, and on kids while they're riding bikes. And we've got to protect our brains, do the best that we can for that. And that includes uh, chemical, um, what's that called? You know, you, you don't want to, interrupt what's going on in your brain with a chemical that can do something like this. So I think if there is some kind of genetic predisposition, the best thing to do is to avoid things that could worsen it. I had a friend um, that I knew many years ago, and he, he was the first one who really said something that really was impactful to me. He said, my dad was an alcoholic. It was horrible. So I never drink. It's that simple. That's how I avoid. I learn from bad experiences. But whenever I, I, I meet, I mean, schizophrenia is such a terrible, terrible disease. Um, real, real suffering of the mind. Um, yeah. I always wonder, especially if I meet young people, um, 
if they didn't have that chronic marijuana use, if they would have that disease? And the answer to that is we don't always know, but in a large population, we have seen that association. So there is, it's just like, you know, again, tobacco and lung cancer, you know, if you didn't smoke, would you not have lung cancer? Probably not a hundred percent. Right. And, but if you don't want to get it, one way of prevention, like you say, is just don't, don't do that. Don't do that to your, your, your brain. That's right. And Dr. Miller, Christine Miller, who um, I loved your interview with her, by the way, that was jam packed, (laughs) that conversation you guys had. And one of the things that that she has said is that uh, people who have schizophrenia and use marijuana have worsened symptoms of schizophrenia. So um, even though some people use it because it may give them temporary relief or may make them feel good temporarily, but in the long run, it it, um, creates worsened um, effects. Um, Same with cigarettes, right? And alcohol, like a temporary feels good. And then, but if you do it a lot, uh, we pay the health price later. Yes. Um, Bart was our caller today, Mm -hmm. Heidi, and his words gave me chills. He said his son's last intelligible words were, cannabis has ruined my life. And it just makes me want to cry. Yeah. And he asks, how are we able to reach youth? Bart, I'd like to thank you for sharing your story. I know this is so painful and, um, and I'm, I'm so sorry for you and your family and your loss, but I I really do hope that uh, your story can help other families from suffering this same loss. Thank you so much for your comment and question. Yes, and I I was, uh, again, I I was really stopped when I, I heard his question and I know that it takes a lot inside of him to be able to do that. And I, I agree with you. I hope that he takes this pain and, and turns it into um, energy to make a difference. And really people like Bart and families like that um, are inspire me to do what I do. I mean, you talk about your, your brother who now as an adult looks back and says, wow, if I knew what I knew now, I wouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. But how do you, but take back and into a young growing uh, brain that's frontal lobe executive decision making isn't made isn't completed yet. How do we reach that child? Yeah, it's it's tough because um, I mean I remember being a teenager and I remember making reckless decisions without a second thought. Although I did have uh, have very serious misgivings about any kind of um, unprotected sex because. Our school was very clear, educating us about if you do this, this can happen. And I was like, oh, no, 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 not not to me. Nope, that is not happening to me. And that really worked. It worked for my life. And I think that we can do the same thing with drugs. And so this is one way to complement the scientific data is to tell a story. And I think people, kids, all of us, react to stories. We remember stories in a way that we don't remember 
data. And so I like to use it as, um, as a complement to your work, to Dr. Miller's work, to countless, uh, Dr. DuPont's work, to countless others. It's, it's just another way to let the message sink in and hopefully entertain them at the same time. I mean, this, that really was the intention of the book is to uh, draw youth in with a story where that they can relate to and, um, and that they wanna know what's going to happen. And so the, the plot of the story is an 18 year old is busted for smoking pot and he's forced to spend the night in jail. And uh, his cellmate is a homeless drug addict with schizophrenia. And he's just completely repelled by this man and wants nothing to do with him, but he has to, because he's in a jail cell with him. And, the, and this homeless guy just keeps at him, wanting to talk to him, wanting to engage with him. And, and so finally, the, the young man feels like, okay, I'm going to have to make friends with this awful person just to get through the night. I'm just going to pretend to be nice, even though I can't stand him. And so he does. And he, they stay up all night long talking. And by the time he leaves in the morning, this young man's world has completely turned upside down. So, so let's take a listen. I mean, you um, kindly gave me a little audio expert that I'd love to share with our listeners. And so let's, uh, let's listen in. 10.01 PM. He sits on the bench. He eyes me over his long nose hairs that jut out like whiskers. He inspects me the way my mom does when she thinks I might be high on a sacred oath. You really don't know who I am. No, no, I don't. I put up my hand and I don't want to know. <laughs> his stupid grin gives me an unwelcome peek at his swollen gums. They're red and black and losing their grip on his five remaining teeth. Yeah, it's exactly like what you see at the dentist where they try to scare you into flossing. He cackles. You're funny. <laughs> I needed a laugh. Besides... You and your parents have 12 letters in your first names when you combine them. 12 is a biblical number. 12 disciples, 12 tribes. So that's a good sign. Name is Captain. Uh, no. No, 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 no. No introductions. I wish he'd let me pretend to sleep so I don't have to talk to him. But no, he keeps coming. I didn't mean to scare you. It's just you. This. This is so, I never imagined they would go this far. But here we are in jail. And this is my 18th time here. My jaw drops. He laughs. <laughs> Your face. Don't be frightened, grasshopper. I'm not violent. Just drugs. Today I got arrested because I didn't pay attention to the signs. If I get busted one more time, it's three strikes and I'm out. I'll be sent to prison, not just jail, prison, fucking no way. That would be part of their grand ploy to put me away for good so they can watch me more closely. They'd love that. More free entertainment for them at my expense. But it is serious shit. If I go to prison, I'll get parole and then I'll get tested for drugs on a regular basis. I can't survive the streets without alcohol or drugs. 
Eventually, I'll test positive. Then I'll be back in prison in a cycle that will never end. I, I can't go to prison, Danny. Jail is easy. Jail is just juvenile boot camp. Heidi, I absolutely loved A Night in Jail. The voice actor is amazing and the story is gripping. Um, and I just listened to it all in one sitting. Did you really? I did. <laughs> and I'm really glad that I did it in, in audio rather than reading because I really enjoyed um, the acting. And is it one actor who's doing all the character? Yes. Yes. That's my dear friend, Quentin Flynn. And I'm such a fan of his work. And he's been a voice actor of over 30 years. I mean, he's so talented. And I was like, please, please do this book. And he said yes. And so I'm so honored that he did. I'm just discovering a new talent about you, Heidi. You get other people to do do things for you, but, it, you know, for a good cause. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. I think that is one of the things in in addition to being very persistent is that I can I I I I have no fear reaching out to people. People say no to me all the time. And I think that's uh, comes from being an actress for many years. If you can't deal with no, you cannot be in the business. You got to just keep going. And so um you know, so I learned how to how to just go, oh, they're wrong, and then go on to the next person um, and ask. Uh, but he was the one person I asked, and he said yes. And um, and Quentin was uh, marvelous. He is marvelous, and so I love I love the audio book. Thank you so much for I'll let him know. Let him know how much I like it. And I want to know you 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 didn't just write a book and made it an audio book. You made it to a play. And you've reached a lot of youth uh, with this. What's their reaction? What what is it? What is and I say kids, they're not kids, they're young adults, Mike. You know, uh, I just want to scientifically clarify that when I say kids, because I'm older, I mean 25 and under when the brain is growing. So yeah. if you're at the under 25, your brain is still growing, your frontal lobe is not done yet. What is their reaction to to the book and the play? I'm I'm so thrilled to say they really like it. I mean, when 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 we had this staged reading, um, it was it was a really amazing experience. We just had five actors on the stage holding their scripts, and we had a full house. It was terrific, and um, that this was the 75 minute play. And uh, one mom came with her high school age son, and she said. Um, that he had a physical reaction at the end. He was like, he like almost uh, jumped in his seat or he jerked anyway. And he, at the end, he turned to his mom and he said, mom, I know a lot of people who need to see this. And that's really sort of consistently been the reaction that I've gotten is that people, the kids like the story and then they comment on how um, it's needed in, in our world today. And with the, expansion of this this marijuana industry it is really important everyone understand what the potential side effects are and so i'm glad that um uh the intention that my brother and i had in writing this story is is working which is pulling people in letting them be engaged and at the at the staged reading you know that was a really great opportunity to feel how the audience responded they laughed they gasped and and at the end they had we had a standing ovation you know that was 
incredible. And there was another young man, a, a teenager who was in the audience that night, and he was a friend of my son's. You know, I'd, I'd known him since he was six years old. And he was so impressed with the reading and he wanted to know um, what he could do to help with it and, and help, you know, get this uh, story out further. And he happened to be a young director who was taking a film class at the local high school. And this young man directed the short film. Wow. And it's amazing. So we have a team led short film. It's 18 minutes long. And there were eight teenagers on the cast crew and music of this film. And he did a spectacular job. And he's currently at UCLA. And, uh, and and the cinematographer was also was 17 and he's in film school at Loyola. You know, I really have got an amazing, amazing crew. So, uh, and yeah. Were there any kids who, um, as, as I would expect, could like just laugh it off? It's like, Ugh, that's just, oh, that's just a show. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, be, you know, kind of like laugh, like people laugh at marijuana. It's like, oh, it's, you know, it's healthy. Ha, ha, ha. Um, I, I don't know if any youth have, have, have uh, said that to me directly after having seen a performance. Um, but I have gotten that reaction from adults and I have gotten that reaction from um, people that on, on Twitter, you know, <laughs> they'll like, they'll reach out to me. They will find, um, uh, find out how to contact me and they'll send me something that says reefer madness, reefer madness, reefer madness, reefer madness yeah. on it. And to me, that just shows a person who is suffering from their own mental illness that they would think this is a, a way to impact me or to, you know, they're just demonstrating the problem. Um, with that kind of, and, and I get that, um, I have gotten that frequently, um, through mostly through Twitter and, and people for the most part have not had the courage to say it to my face. They will say it, um, online or they'll, they'll make it given a, a fake name to uh, send me a message like that. And so, I mean, I think this is also a, a, a problem that I, I would actually like to talk about a little bit. And that is that, um, you know, you talk about, the problems with alcohol. You tell somebody who drinks, you know, that's not so good for your liver. They go, yeah. You tell a smoker, I smoked for 17 years. People would tell me, you know, that'll give you cancer. I'm like, yeah, it sure will. You know, And you can do that with all the drugs. But if you tell someone, uh, oftentimes someone who is using marijuana, that there are side effects with it. And, you know, and you kind of go through what the, some of those side effects are, they will um, they get very upset, a lot of them, and they will deny it and defend it all the way down. And it's, whoa. And it doesn't matter what study um, I present. It doesn't matter if the Surgeon General said it or the National Academy of Science or Bertha Madras or Christine Miller or you or anybody else. They're like, oh, well, that's biased. It's like you're biased. People, you know, like really, really uh, into it. Um, yeah. And they're getting mixed messages. And and um, I think that's the evil behind it. And if you want to yeah. smoke pot, smoke pot. But to hide um, the truth um, yeah. and not let people know about it, you know, whether it's for youth and psychosis or people with heart attacks or strokes or where mm -hmm. people have drug interactions and internal bleeding 
or um, yesterday I admitted a guy who um, he, he had COVID, but he also had recovering from surgery from his foot. It's like three months out and he has to get his oxycodone all the time. And I thought, you know, it's a little, it's, it's out of proportion mm-hmm. and uh, it's positive for marijuana. And, you know, they say, oh, marijuana helps your pain. It's like, no, studies show that people are using marijuana and have pain, use more opiates. And he was an example. And so he did he believe that? I, you know what? Sometimes I just don't bother getting into it with him. And he had COVID. So why should I go into a COVID room and have this conversation? So I didn't. Oh, I didn't. Oh. Sometimes I do. And yeah. I get mixed reactions. I, I'm I think I'm getting better at how I explain things in a non-judgmental way, just so people mm-hmm. can make their own decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I didn't I didn't do that for him. Um, I don't, yeah. And uh so I wanted to to get to to your your brother. You know, you said he was in jail eighteen times, and in your book, yeah. a night in jail, yeah. he was in jail eighteen times. Yeah. Um, is it just you know? There's a whole when people hear that they say, well, people shouldn't go to jail for marijuana. Did he just go to jail for marijuana? I mean, that's yeah. not right. We don't want to criminalize drug use and possession. Um, do you think? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Did he warrant being in jail? Was it an injustice for him to be in jail? No, he wasn't in jail for marijuana. At all. I mean, that's just a fictional plot in A Night in Jail, the story. In his adult life, he was in jail for stealing, for dealing drugs, for uh, trying to sell crack and cocaine to an undercover agent, things like that. And at that time in his life, he had moved on from marijuana to cocaine and then crack. And so marijuana was just not on his um, he just didn't use it. In fact, one time he he, he did. And this was um, when they started having uh, medical marijuana shops in Washington state. And, and somebody told him, they said, have you tried the new marijuana? And he was like, no. And he said, oh, you've got to try it. And so he was a marijuana connoisseur, you know, when he was a teenager and a young adult, he was like, I'm going to go try this. And it had been years since he had done it. And he got some and the potency and this was the bud. And it was, he said it freaked him out so much. He had to go back underneath the freeway and just be away from people because he was so impacted by the strength of the marijuana. And this is a season cocaine and crack user um, that had this reaction to it. So, um, yeah. The real high potency THC is more like meth. It's not. Right. right. And he didn't try that. I don't think, I think he will have to, I'll have to ask him and clarify. Did he try a vape or did he try a dab? But I have a feeling it was just a joint because he couldn't invest in the vape pens or the dab rigs. You know, he would have to get something quick and easy what is this reflection looking back and your and your and your family's reflection going back about oh, my brother's in jail or he's in jail is it helpful hurtful um none of the above make a difference i mean what's what's the perspective of the justice system as somebody who's been involved in it 18 times well um for us we hoped he was in jail because then we knew he wouldn't be using and we knew it was safe and there was a roof over his head and he was fed. So we hoped that he was in jail. And um, for him, you know, like the clip showed, it was just like, whatever, go in, go to jail, fine, get out. And, you know, the problem was going to prison that that was like, whoa, no, I can't go to prison. And so he was at the point in um, in 
uh, drug arrests that they said one more time and you're going to prison and that's just it for you. And so that stick really worked for him. He went into treatment instead. And um, so he is a living example of um, how, you know, the fear of uh, incarceration changed his life. Because yeah, otherwise, and, and there's yeah. two things, right? One, it's a yeah. place of safety from the family's point, right? Yeah. He has a roof, he's got meals, he's got carry. You know, now we're increasing treatment for substance use disorder in the jails. So, yeah, families sometimes want their their loved ones in jail as, as an opportunity and as protection. And yeah. then, you know, what a great motivator to, to get recovery. Yeah. Um, right. So I don't think it's all bad if it's used in, in these kind of ways where you're actually making people better. Yes. And he says that if he didn't have the fear of, of going to prison, he would still be using today. That's what he says. So your brother's a smart guy, right? I mean, he went to graduate school. Yeah. He's very well educated. He came from a good home. You know, we had, we had good parents. I, I, I'm a mom, you know, I raised uh, a son and a stepson and it's a lot of work. And when I think about all the vacations they took us on, the ski trips, the dude ranches, the, you know, the meals, the home cooked meals. I mean, just all these things. My mom made our clothes, you know, I mean, it was Wow, the, the the what they did for us was a terrific, a terrific amount of energy. And so, um, yeah, um, he was a smart guy, ambitious guy, but he lost all that because he fell in love with the party life. And how's he doing today? Today, um, he's he's doing great. So he's sober. And when he hit his five year sober anniversary, because he was sober and then he went off and then he was sober and then he went off again and relapsing disease of the brain. That's what it, awful, awful. And um, and then so he's been sober for five years straight. And he says this is the longest time he's been sober since he was 15. And he um, recently spoke at a 12 step meeting, a big one, you know, and he spoke for 40 minutes about his life. And um, so he's doing well. I mean, the, just the fact that we have the, this is huge, huge, because for me, what I saw for him was an early death somehow living on the streets of Seattle, you know, how long can a person live outside in the rain and snow? We know we have the data on that, that people who are homeless die earlier. They're more at risk of death. And we treat people differently in the hospital because of that. I mean, if you have any mild fever or pneumonia um, and you have shelter and a home and we can be, we could send you home. But if you don't, we, we admit you to the hospital because you could die. Yes. And I think they just, I just heard on the news that like, there was a huge, like a huge percentage of homeless uh, people living with homelessness who were murdered, who are being murdered. I mean, and that was my fear that there it would be a gang of kids or something attacking him. But because um, and he'd been chased by by kids before and had things thrown at him and and such. But I I think that um, with the rise in in drug use, that people are of, of all kinds of drugs, that people are becoming more violent, and the and the people who have no shelter um, are really vulnerable. Just imagine, how can you sleep ever? 
Yeah, I know. And that's why they say they use meth because they can't sleep. They need to stay up and watch their things and be awake, but then it's a vicious circle. Yes. yes. Um, so Heidi, now we know why you're such an advocate and have such passionate. If you um, had a magic wand and I know you're an advocate in California, what would you like to see happen? I would like to see us do some chip steps at a time um, because there is no turning the ship around. It's going to be a long time before people acknowledge the harms of this drug. And then once they become more familiar with it, I think that uh, use will be reduced as it was with tobacco. Um, but we're a long way from that right now. So I think we the best we can hope for are incremental steps. And I think the best thing for us to do is to follow what Colorado has done. And you and I have been working on this together. And I thank you so much for um, being open to me when I reached out to you. I, I was like, huh, should I email Dr. Ronit Lev? I don't know what she's going to say. But people, you know, our mutual friends say, hey, you should talk to Dr. Ronit Lev, you know, and I'm like, Okay, if you think she'll accept this email from me, I'll I'll send it. And I was really surprised when you did reply to me. It was about a year ago or so um, when we first got connected and uh, about working on legislation to pr protect California, just in any way, in some way. There are so many ways that we need, as you described, drug interactions and um, and proper warning labels. That's my cause right now. And you, you're wonderfully helping me with this. Um, I mean, there's so many that even a small thing will be a great victory for us in, in California. So I'd say uh, with a magic wand, we would follow in the steps of what Colorado is doing. And for those people who don't know, I mean, do you want to tell them about the warning labels, what they say, their new ones? Well, oh, for Colorado, we have a whole yeah. show on that. And um, I have the advocate for Colorado's uh, um, warning label laws will be on an episode of High Truth. So people who want to listen and get more detail, people will listen to an episode with Don Renfield, um, yeah. who um, has been the passionate uh, person in Colorado to make that happen. And yes, we are all jealous from Colorado. They've had legal marijuana less years in California and are making changes and really shame on California for letting the industry, you know, go up and up and up in potencies um, and, and no stop blocks for, um, for protection, for consumer yeah. protection. We, and, yeah. um, and, you know, kind of my vision for everything is really mirrors tobacco. It took us a hundred years with tobacco for people to understand the risks and I'm just hoping that if we could learn from history, it'll just it'll take us 50 years and not 100. Um, and, um, and and just talking the truth, talking the science and letting people make their own decisions, not not telling them what to do, but giving the information. So they make, um, you know, they make their own risk benefit calculation and really protect our youth. Um, and let's and if you could um, talk about stigma and the drug itself. Because I like how you say it. I know you mentioned that you like what I say about that. I mean, there's a whole campaign about <laughs> stigma. Let's eliminate stigma. But I think um, we have to be very clear that we don't want stigma on the human being who has a chronic disease. Mm -hmm. If you have 
you know, mental illness, if you have depression, if you have a substance use disorder, if you have cancer, if you have high blood pressure, why would anybody, I mean, that's just mean you have mm-hmm. a disease that needs treatment, mm-hmm. but, but cancer is bad. Right. And, uh-huh. and uh, having a substance use disorder, you know, you don't want to have it. You want to get better. Right. And, and the drugs themselves are, are bad. The drugs yeah. themselves are bad. We don't want you to do that. So we, we, and that's stigma, like don't yeah. cross the street when the light's red. <laughs> yeah. that, that's not bad. You're not a bad human being if you did that, but that yeah. action is bad. Yes. Uh, and I think the same thing um, for drugs is, you know, the drugs themselves um, are bad and there should be stigma about um, about using them. There's stigma about smoking. Ew, that guy's a smoker, you know, mm-hmm. or uh, not the person, but even the tobacco, you know, I don't like the smell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a tool. And, and it's a fine line between between the two. We can't just say, oh, all drugs are fine, you know. Yeah. And there's a huge movement in our country to normalize drug use. You should be able to, if I can drink alcohol, I could just smoke a cigarette, I could do a line of cocaine. And yeah. that's a healthy direction for yeah. our country. Or this is the safe drug. Or this is the harmless one. Right. Or, you know, or whatever. And then I don't see that. I mean, I every day I'm taking care of overdose patients on fentanyl and they've all started with marijuana, not one um, uh, fentanyl user do have I met that didn't start at some point in their life with marijuana. And not that doesn't mean everybody who uses marijuana is gonna end up using fentanyl or die of fentanyl. But I would bet you the overwhelming majority of people who have died of fentanyl started their journey of priming their brain with marijuana. Yeah, for sure. And then one thing that I, I want to throw in here as well is that um, Don um, uh, was able and and one chance to grow up in Colorado, they were able to get a lot of testimony from parents to talk about and kids and school administrators to talk about what they've seen, about the harms that they've seen. And a lot of these parents and uh, victims are attacked for doing so they are stigmatized. And so that makes it harder for parents to come forward and say, um, like Bart bravely did, my child took his own life. And because people will say, that's your fault. You're a lousy parent. And I cannot believe people do that, but it happens. And it doesn't just happen to him. It has happened to several people that I know. And we really need to change that. I, I can't say, I don't have words. I mean, you're already suffering and then other people throw rocks at you while you're down. I, I don't but I want to say thank you. Thank you to Bart, really. Bart, yeah. for your question and your bravery and sharing your 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 son's story, a painful family story. Uh, story. And I, I offer my con- sincere condolences and may your son's memory be a blessing. And Heidi, thank you for joining High Truths and I wish you success in your vital mission in consumer protection uh, in California and made lots of kids and adults read your book and be inspired by a night in jail. Oh, thank you so much, Roni. And I appreciate your support and your advocacy here in California as well. You're um, making tremendous strides and congratulations on getting a sponsor for your bill about fentanyl testing. Yay. This is, we need all the great news. And so you're a champion and an, an inspiration to many. So thank you. 
Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from our sponsors. A sincere and warm thank you to NMI, the National Marijuana Initiative, striving to dispel misconceptions about marijuana so citizens and policymakers can make well-informed choices. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davey Boy Productions. I am your host, Dr. Onit Lev. We hope we brought your day a little bit more high truths. Mm-hmm.